Hey everyone, just a heads up that we recorded this before the Bucks 129-108 victory over the Phoenix Suns, so you won't hear any breakdown of that game in this one. Obviously, a nice bounce-back win for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, kind of thought that they might struggle given it's a day game and they've had their issues with that this year, but didn't seem to have any issues dispatching the Phoenix Suns. Giannis goes for 30 points, 19 rebounds, and 9 assists, but uh, won't hear us break down that game, but you will hear us break down uh, the Nuggets loss, the Wizards win last week, and plenty of other stuff. So thanks for listening, and enjoy the episode. We get live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because... Well, sorry, Toronto. <laughs> 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 And because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. (laughs) Hello and welcome to another episode of the Brew Hoop podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com, broadcasting live from the home state of Punxsutawney Phil, who, uh, as we found out, did not see his shadow this morning uh groundhog's day the day we're recording this so early spring ahead that's good news for you guys riley and kyle who are uh, in the midst of a, a dead dead cold winter how are you doing over there i have to question the whole pox however you pronounce his name phil <laughs> thing because we've already seen plenty of fraudulent things coming out of philadelphia namely the basketball team on the road and i already <laughs> said a couple of weeks ago that i would not be talking too much trash but you know, with that road record, I think it's something that we need to acknowledge as there's not a good track record of things from Philly performing when you want them to. And so I'm not banking any sort of early spring. I'm expecting deep into March, April snowfall uh, the entire time. So I'm doing well otherwise. <laughs> uh, I'll just say, uh, I don't know what's more disappointing. Uh, people that are mad at a college student for deciding to leave a basketball program or the brew poop accounts, lack of dedication to trashing us on tweets. I don't know which one is more embarrassing and more sad. Probably the brew poop account. But then again, people are make people are chastising a teenage college student for not wanting to work for free. I don't know. It's kind of sad. Everyone needs to get their priorities straight. And speaking of doing things not the right way, how about the Washington Wizards defense earlier this <laughs> week, people? <laughs> Transition. Well, wow, what a segue. That's why you're the podcast pro. Uh, yeah, of course, the Washington Wizards, uh, who who have decided that defense shall be optional the entire season, coming into the game against the Milwaukee Bucks, where it came out that Giannis was not going to play. He had some right shoulder soreness. Uh, obviously, it was in the wake of of Kobe's passing as well. So maybe a little bit of emotional turmoil as well, although the organization, of course, chalked it up to the right shoulder. Uh, but that 151-131 W over the Washington Wizards uh, was incredible shootout between Chris Middleton and Bradley Beal. Uh, Chris Middleton goes for 51 points, 16 of 26 from the field, 7 of 10 from 3, absolutely unconscious. We'll always have that, him hitting that triple and then like Dragon Bender and DJ Wilson just losing their minds on the bench. Uh, kudos to those guys. <laughs> 10 rebounds, six assists for Middleton. Uh, lost in the shuffle, of course, was Eric Bledsoe's 34 points, six rebound, 10 assist performance. Really nice game from him as well uh, against a team that is more than willing to allow uh, the opposing team just put up gaudy numbers, uh, as evidenced by Dante also scoring 16.6 of nine from the field. Uh, Bucks are 55.6% overall, 51.4% from three, 19 of 37. Score a franchise record 88 points in the first half. And really, Riley, the first half was all Bucks. Second half, a little more Wizards make it close. But uh, in the end, this one was all really about Chris Middleton. Yeah, and I think if people are looking around saying, what is Chris Middleton? Why is he a second star? Why is he somebody that we should keep around? Uh, which sometimes I think is a somewhat valid question. It's nights like this that you point at and say, you know, this is what he's capable of when the ball runs through his hands, when the offense. And I thought... It was the fourth quarter, especially where it, I don't know how close it got. It was like relatively tight, given the fact that the Bucks had a 30 some point lead at some point or another during the game. But there were so many possessions in a row where the Bucks, even though they usually play at such a high pace without Giannis out there, they had to adjust how they attacked it a little bit. And so 
what they did instead was we're going to work to find some sort of mismatch, either getting a switch or whatever it is for Chris, you know, in the mid range, in the post, whatever the situation happens to be, get the ball to him. And over and over again, Chris was able to convert. And what was impressive was the fact that Washington had to know after like the third or fourth possession that it was coming. And yet they weren't able to stop him. And even when Chris didn't end up getting the balls in his hands, he didn't necessarily always take the shot. He also was looking for teammates when he was kind of generating that gravity through his just presence. And so it's pretty rare given the way that the Bucks generally play and the presence of Giannis out there, that a dominating performance like this is in the cards for Middleton. But the fact that he's able to flash this again against one of the worst defenses in the league, but systematically to not be stopped time after time in a tight situation where you needed to convert because everybody was scoring on both ends. There was defense optional was the subtitle of this game. And so uh, it, it was impressive. Uh, you can nod at this and say, this is what he's capable of. It's just a matter of will the team, will coach Bud and will Chris actually go out and make that happen uh, in other games where Giannis is out there. Yeah. And I, I think you make an, an excellent point in talking about how the wizards knew what was coming, but they still couldn't stop him. And it's it, obviously Chris Middleton had that amazing drive to the bucket and that dunk at the end to put a punctuation, excuse me, an exclamation mark on his game, not just a, a basic punctuation mark. Yeah, put a uh, comma on it. He put a- <laughs> <laughs> no, it was definitely a semicolon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, the, the I think the most impressive part about it is, yeah, the Wizards have the league's worst defense and everything. They Certainly their on-ball defenders aren't anything to seize at. But I mean, Chris Middleton is getting almost all of these points from just his pure shooting ability, his ability to shoot from the mid-range. It's not like he's decimating them down low, and he got to the free throw and the free throw line a good chunk of times. But it's really just his shooting ability and his isolation ability, and it also led to that iconic picture after the game, Kyle, with the the fifty one uh, on, on a piece of paper and then in black and white. Yeah, it was kind of funny that Giannis was originally warming up, but then no one saw him at the bench, and Giannis is just chilling in the back and deciding I'm going to make a meme out of this. So <laughs> it's kind of funny how that all worked out. But I think kind of what you're saying with Chris Middleton shooting, it was at a point where it seemed possible that both Middleton and Bledsoe could have gotten 50 in the night because Bledsoe, I know, in the first half had 20-something points, I believe. So to see those two in particular just start off really hot, especially in Giannis's absence, was a good sight to see. Again, we know the Wizards may not play defense, but they still have competent NBA players. So it's good to see them do this, you know, against NBA caliber players. It's not like they're playing a G League team of the Chicago Bulls or anything. It was just simply the Wizards. I don't know if they just choose not to play defense or just. I don't know. They shouldn't be that bad defensively, but I guess when you have David Bertans, Bradley Beal, and Isaiah Thomas, yeah, those guys aren't going to play any defense whatsoever. But going back to Middleton, it was kind of how consistent he was able to do it as well. It never seemed like he never caught fire, you know, never had like a Clay Thompson 20, 30 point quarter. It was just consistently just gets. 10, 5, 10 points each time he was in the game. And when he got subbed out, then Bledsoe would take over and he would get another 5 or 10. And then Chris Milton would come back in and he would get another 10, 15. It was just the consistency of how he was doing it. It wasn't necessarily the kind of explosion type of scoring. It was just throughout the whole game, it was just a chipping away. And I think if the game didn't get as close in the second half as it was starting to, I don't, I believe Chris Milton would have sat with 40 something, but. Yeah, it was just cool to see, and the questions on if he's a second star, star or whatever, I think we're at the point now where we know Chris's skill set is the perfect complement for Giannis, and if Milwaukee needs anything, they need a number three that they can rely on more than if Chris Middleton is a good enough number two, because I think Chris Middleton has proven that he can be a good enough number two. I, th- I think if I can jump in real quick right there, what's interesting about this game and just talking about Chris and what he brings to the table is maybe I think I agree with you, Kyle, that the questions about him being a potential number two, you know, I think we see games like this and other games where he puts out a high point total or he's really feeling it from mid range. And we say, I don't think that's the case that he's not a number two, but is he essentially a victim generally? And just with the way that, you know, Boonholzer balls played that he can never really shine like that. And if he, if Giannis is out there, 
I think we should give a nod to the fact that Chris appears to have adjusted his style so that he can fit within what Budenholzer while still also getting his mid range every once in a while. But you see a lot of after a game like this where it's like, why, why can't Chris do this every single game? And I think that's a fair question. I think most of that comes down to the way the Bucks play strategically on offense. But then that kind of makes me a little concerned because, you know, all credit again to Middleton for being willing to do what's asked of him. But if you're in like a playoff game and Giannis is still out there and the, the general idea is we're still going to do what we do, is it possible or is it a little bit too difficult for Chris in the flow of a game where like, okay, our usual thing is not working for him to then adjust and be like, I'm going to do the takeover thing. So I think that's kind of a sub trend or a sub idea to this game where it's like, yes, it was really impressive. Not sure if we'll see it happen all that often. If Giannis, you know, if there are games where Giannis sits maybe, but that is something in the playoffs where is he capable of turning it on like that? I think he is, but is he going to be capable slash, is the coaching staff willing and the rest of the roster willing to let it happen? And obviously everybody was happy for him when it was happening. And when he's that on, you have to go to him, but it is kind of an interesting fold for the playoffs. He has the, I mean, and I feel like we've talked about this in the past as well as he has the type of game that seems like it would lend itself well to the playoffs, right? The, the defense is tightened down. They clamp down. You might have to get a few more isolation points than you would in the past. He's a guy who can shake his defender He's tall. He can get a shot off over just about anyone uh, unless he's being bothered by, you know, really uh, the elite of the elite defenders, which is what he will face in the playoffs. But I, I think you're right, Riley, that for him, it's it's kind of a mindset and trying to get himself in the headspace that, OK, if he's you know, if he has one of those nights where he goes three of 13 or whatever. Right. I think that's one of the reasons that we can see him. He might be on one night and off is that he's not. It, for the most part, he's not like getting any easy buckets, right? Like the <laughs> top shot expresses alive and well for Chris, right? He's not like, he's not breaking down defenders and really getting to the rim. He's not even getting many free throw attempts per game. He's only at like 4.5 per 36. So, so he's not a guy who like, if he's struggling and his shot is struggling, he's, he's kind of just not going to, maybe he's just not going to have it that game, right? Like he's not going to be like, if Giannis isn't his mid range isn't falling, his three point isn't falling. Usually, he can still kind of get to the free throw line. But Chris, Chris's game is—I don't want to call it one dimensional because of the way he plays, but it does feel a little bit more that way, Kyle. That it's tough for him to get going if he's struggling with his shot. Well, it's not even if he struggles with his shot. It's just kind of like what we've noticed in the past. He's not as aggressive enough as maybe he should be. Um, just with sometimes when he, especially in the playoffs against Toronto. It seems like he was spending so much time trying to guard Kawhi, and when they made the switch that Kawhi would guard Giannis, Chris Middleton didn't really take as much of an advantage as we would have liked. And I think that's really maybe that was just him still trying to get used to Bud system. And we've talked about how you know we don't ideally want him to go on the tough shot express, but at the same time, it's kind of that fine balance between wanting the tough shot express, but also wanting to make sure he takes the best shot that he can get. And I think that's something that he's still trying to figure out, especially when Giannis is on the court, uh, just because we see two different styles of play. When Giannis isn't playing, he's willing to go tough shot express. He's willing to fire those threes. He's willing to be that guy. While when Giannis plays, it seems like he's more kind of deferring a little bit more and going, letting Giannis kind of dictate the play, which is fine because obviously you want to give your best player the ball when the time calls for it. But it's going to be one of those where if there is a, if there is an elite defender, is it going to be the same concept? And then again, I don't know what elite defender there is in the Eastern Conference right now that's not on the Miami Heat, but who knows? Well, and and to Chris's credit, I mean, there's a reason why the guy is putting up career per 36 numbers, especially on the offensive end. Like he seems to be a lot more aggressive or a lot more willing to exploit mismatches when they come his way, whereas maybe in years past, especially last year where he was kind of figuring out what to do with what Budenholzer wanted. You know, maybe it was a little bit more reticent or a little more willing to try and move the ball. Whereas this year he seems more willing or even more empowered to when he sees a mismatch, when he sees a situation that he feels comfortable in, he just kind of goes for it, even if he's not having a comfortable shooting night. Yeah. And he was, he was pretty comfortable in this nuggets game that we'll, we'll move on and talk about a little more. Now there's a little bit more substance there, given it was a, a loss for the bucks. And there's always feel like more instructive things to talk about at this point in the season, even though we, I generally tend to, it was funny. I didn't watch the game Friday night. I <clears throat> had to rewatch it. And 
I just saw that they had lost and I was like, well, okay. I bet Denver shot pretty well from three. And then I looked and I was like, yep, that's exactly what happened. Uh, so the Nuggets just in the, just do an overview of this game. Nuggets shoot 22 of 46 from three, 47.8%. Bucks are 12 of 40 from three point land, just 30%. Uh, Giannis finishes with 31 points, 16 rebounds, nine assists. Chris, 24 points, nine assists. I'm just 11 shots. Really impressive from him. 15 points, seven assists from Eric Bledsoe. Uh, George Hill, I, I think one of the big stories for, for me is, is George Hill and Dante DiVincenzo were out, which thrust Pat Connaughton and, and Sterling Brown into the lineup. Um, and uh, really, the, it seemed like the Bucks kept this one, let this one stay a little too close, Riley, especially in that first half, uh, given how, how well it seemed like they played. And then the Nuggets were just able to overtake them in the second. Yeah, I think we were talking before we started recording that it was remarkable how well Milwaukee played on the offensive end, especially in the first half. And yet they go into the break still only up seven, which is like, Hmm, things, things that make you go, Hmm, when you see that sort of situation. And so all it really took, again, it was like a, another defense optional. In this case, it was more so this was a team where we've seen in the past that if a team really wants to gun from three, the bucks are obviously absolutely okay with the team trying to do that and historically at least the season the nuggets are like either a really great three-point shooting team or one that takes a lot of them generally so this is a little bit of a one-off but i think it proves the ability of teams to see whatever the bucks do or what they allow on offense and i think it was even more remarkable because the Nuggets had gotten in from Milwaukee at like 4 a.m. and they had just played a, a tough back-to-back against the Jazz the night before. And so instead of maybe trying to do whatever they normally do, which is probably run a lot through Jokic on the offensive end, is like, all right, we're just going to gun for threes and it ends up working out. And then, like you said, without George Hill out there, without Dante out there, you're forced putting like Kyle Korver for a lot of minutes, Sterling Brown for a lot of minutes, and, you know, Sterling does not have it this season it doesn't seem like and kyle i mean he's he's fine every once in a while with his threes but when he goes over two and he's just kind of out there generally for 17 minutes it's going to be probably one where he's getting picked apart a little bit and then the same thing for like pat Connaughton. and so strangely enough it seemed like the bucks were the team that didn't have the legs or the depth even though they had only played the wizards whatever like three days before had all the rest beforehand coming back from paris and so i, I don't know how much of it is again, kind of lackadaisicaling around and letting the other team really get into it from three. And you just kind of chalk it up to that versus if there was some sort of deeper issue to go into from Milwaukee's end. Yeah. I'm not sure. It, it was tough for me as I, as I was watching it to find a huge deep issue. I mean, I thought to Denver's credit, they did a really, really nice job on Giannis when he got down low, uh, creating a doubling him right in the paint uh, yeah, there was the, there was no room whatsoever. There were multiple times where he tried to like gather for a shot attempt, and they just did not give him any sort of space to do it. No, no, re- really nice effort by them. And, and Denver, I think they're ranked uh, when I was looking before. They were like twenty fifth in terms of uh, defending the the rim, in terms of you know stopping other teams at the rim. But and the Bucks are you know obviously one of the best teams in the league at finishing down there, and they hold the Bucks to well below their their season average there. So. All the credit to them. That was something that I thought they did really well. Obviously, they hit their threes. But there were a lot of times, Kyle, and it shows out if you look at what would have been the real starting lineup. We'll talk about Thanasis starting, I guess, in a little bit here. <laughs> but like with uh, with Brook, like between Brooke Lopez, Giannis, uh, Wesley Matthews, and Eric Bledsoe, they go a combined three for 20 from three. Uh, and that's off some really good looks. Giannis was creating some really good looks. Eric Bledsoe was creating good looks. Uh, and there were a couple times where where Brooke just couldn't get the ball to go in when it seemed like there were some pivotal moments. Um, yeah. Sorry, go yeah, ahead. I, well, I was going to say, for me, kind of like how Riley was saying, how Milwaukee was playing that well offensively and still only had a slim lead at halftime, I was thinking the opposite. I was thinking, well, Denver's shooting the ball really, really well, and the Bucks are still up you know, this much without George Hill, without Dante DiVincenzo. So it's kind of I was thinking the opposite. I was thinking this is probably a good thing because there's I don't think Denver's going to continue shooting this well. And I was badly wrong. Um and I think it was just with that starting lineup in yeah, Donas is starting, definitely pandering to the Greek crowd, but we can talk about more of that later. But it was they were a lot of good looks, especially for Wes and Brooke. And now Riley, I know you mentioned it. I don't remember how long ago, but 
maybe it was yesterday on a Twitter thread, but Brooks shooting has been bad this year. And at what point do we figure out this is how it's going to be and it's not going to change or how do we change it or is it going to improve? And I'm starting to think we might have to assume that Milwaukee is going to have two subpar three-point shooters on the court out of the starters in Giannis and Brooke. And you hope that West continues getting the good looks that he did and can hit those shots. And you hope that Bledsoe might take some of those open looks. And you just hope that Chris Middleton is that flamethrower. And I think that's, I think that was one of the bigger differences in this game was Milwaukee's good looks weren't falling while Denver's good looks were falling. But when you think of how to beat the Bucks, you, you need to shoot the ball well. You need to hope Milwaukee doesn't shoot well, which they didn't. They were, I think, what, 12 of 40? It was like 12 of 40 from three. You have to make sure that Giannis has an okay game. and Not not great, just okay. And he played a little bit better in the, sec- in the first half, but in the second half, he seemed like he was forcing a shot a lot more. And then you just have to, you know, just hope that things go your way. And for Denver, it didn't. And this isn't a new thing. We saw this with San Antonio. We saw this with Philly. We saw this in the Boston and Miami comebacks. When Milwaukee's shots don't fall, they don't seem to have a plan B. And you can appreciate Pat Connaughton and his effort, Sterling Brown and his effort, but they just were, it seemed like Milwaukee was out hustled, which I wouldn't have expected considering Denver playing a tough game the day before and flying in late. That's just those, that's kind of the thing that I think was more of an issue for Milwaukee. And it shows with Dante's energy and George Hill's just calm steadiness that those two are very vital to Milwaukee's rotation. And ironically, despite the nasty starting, it seemed like his energy was actually helpful for Milwaukee, especially at the beginning of the game. Well, and I, I just want to talk about another thing that was unique, at least in my eyes from this game, and probably something that is a through line for a lot of the games that the Bucks have lost, which is the other team shoots really well from three. But two things that were two other things that were notable one i think jokic is an interesting defensive matchup for milwaukee because we know how the drop scheme works right so like you're going to try and attack wherever the pick is being set and then brook is going to just kind of fall back into the paint and the way that denver seemed to go every single time down and again i don't watch a lot of nuggets basketball but i'm assuming it's the way they do it a lot is they try and get jokic into his spot which is like sort of like at the top of the paint or like around the block sort of, and just get him the ball and let him either go for it himself or operate and keep an eye out for what his teammates are doing to find him in passing space. And so that's difficult because Brooke, he's sort of neutralized in that situation where he's forced to kind of man up against or, you know, if it's Brooke, if it's Thanasis, whoever was out there, even Giannis a little bit in the second half where, they're forced to kind of keep on Jokic and that takes a player out of the possession essentially where Jokic isn't really doing anything other than standing there, but he's still enough of a threat where you have to have a guy right on him. And so when you neutralize that and then you have a team where the rest of the players is like, oh, we're just going to just shoot from three either right away in the possession or work the ball around after getting the guy in the paint or having a second guy kind of help out in the paint against Jokic that kind of exposes Milwaukee in that situation and makes it a lot more difficult to get stops. And then the other thing I wanted to point out was, you know, and a lot of the losses this year, some of them are a little fluky, but some of them I think are notable in that, like you have the Nuggets, you have Jokic, who is a a singular talent who it makes it difficult to really adjust against. You have the Spurs where you have DeMar DeRozan. He's difficult to adjust against. You have the Sixers where they have, you know, like an Embiid, he's difficult to adjust against. And so I I think it is notable that there are teams that have a singular talent on the offensive end and Milwaukee has yet to really adjust or find a way to stop them. And again, it's regular season. They've only lost seven games, so it's not that big of a deal, but just something to kind of keep an eye on. Yeah, and I I I think another thing, yeah, obviously Jokic is so fascinating too because he also, if if he's sort of working from the top of the arc, and he's surveying the floor, you have to pull Brooke up at least a little bit, which, you know, opens up the rim and everything to backdoor cuts. The Nuggets end up shooting about 60% at the rim on granted on low volume, but uh, that's significantly better than the Bucks. you know, average, the average, average on average, they hold teams like 55%. I think the other thing that flipped this game was the Bucks when the Nuggets went small and they would have like Jeremy Grant in at center. Uh, I mean, Grant finishes like a plus 21 on the night, but, it was just like so clear that Brooke Lopez couldn't stick with him 
And then as the Bucks had to try and counter and go small on their own, they like they just did not have the horses without George Hill and Dante DiVincenzo. Like, you know, that lineup a couple games ago where it was like Chris, Giannis, Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, Dante. It was like this version was like Giannis, Chris, Pat Connaughton, Corver. Thanasis. Or Thanasis minutes. Yeah, I mean, it was like – you, you as soon as like the Bucks went to switching defense, it was like PJ Dozier, which is like a dude I would never ever even think of, is like immediately breaks down Kyle Korver super easily off the dribble and just like destroys him. Or like Monty Morris gets around Pat Connaughton and like is able to finish at the rim, whereas like that might be a play where like Dante or George Hill is able to corral a, a relatively okay player like that, as opposed to letting them just get unimpeded to the rim. It's just like it's those little marginal differences that when the Nuggets go small and they have like a really athletic guy like Jeremy Grant and the Bucks just aren't able to counter and they don't have like the type of defenders in Pat Conton or Kyle Korver who are able to play like that. Uh, it's just pretty clear to me, Kyle, that like that those are those margins against a team that's as good as the Nuggets that the Bucks just can't overcome if they're missing guys like that. Guy, right. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can get away with it when you're playing the Washington Wizards or the Charlotte Hornets or the Chicago Bulls or the Indiana Pacers, but you can't get away with it when you're talking about a team as talented as the Denver Nuggets. So, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, and also Grant had like seven blocks in this game, which is insane. I didn't realize that. Uh, yeah, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> no. Also, I have to say like, this this does feel like the game that, and we've said it millions of times, but like, how can DJ Wilson not get get in this game? Like, Ursan Ilyasova played eight minutes. It was clear he couldn't handle like being out on the floor at all, and like DJ Wilson doesn't even get a sniff. Like, I I did say that in our group chat. I was like, this ha- this is the end. There's no way he is <laughs> going to be on the roster after the trade deadline. The the only thing was I don't remember. So they played him and Dragon played in Ashkash the night before, uh, which. I mean, it's the G League, no disrespect. So obviously, this probably should have still had some energy, but I don't know if that would have played into it at all. I, I think they would have been assigned back to the team. But yeah, I don't I don't know. It's just the usual sad dir- dirge of DJ. But you know what? He's got a guaranteed year next year. So good for him anyhow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, anything else from this one? I guess we could mention that Thanasis started. It was Greek Heritage Night. Didn't. I was all ready for it to be like atrocious, but he actually didn't even seem to harm the team that much uh, in the, in his first five minutes, besides like getting, you know, pulling a Thon maker and getting two fouls in those five minutes. Uh, he seemed really energetic and uh, he like got into Jokic's grill a couple of times on defense, which was cool. And it was uh, a magical opening for Giannis to get the steal and get it to a streaking Thanasis for a dunk on the other end. Like, you know, you couldn't ask for a, uh, a better beginning. And then that position where Giannis is driving to the paint, he kind of Euro steps and then finds Thanasis with the pass underneath the basket for the end one. I thought that was really cool, but uh, I, for one, am okay. If we continue to not see a lot of Thanasis, that that jumper is, I mean, it's broke, man. It's, it is not great. So uh, whatever, shout out Thanasis. I don't think he was necessarily the issue since he still only played five minutes, but uh, you know, whatever, just lineups, I guess. Yeah. I would say if this was, DJ Wilson or back in the day, Christian Wood or Thon Maker, Bucks Twitter would be losing its shit if they had played the same way that Thanasis did. So good on Thanasis. Good on Thanasis. Weird game, man. Weird game. There was like two strange one. Two straight jump balls at one point. Um, Dr. Dave (laughs) waved both his arms after a Giannis three as opposed to just one. Um, Weird stuff. Weird stuff. You you needed two calls to get in touch with David Gruber instead of one. There was just a lot of weird (laughs) stuff going on. Uh, yeah, speaking of, of, I guess, not weird stuff, uh, Chris Chris Middleton was selected as an all-star reserve for the second year in a row. Um, we'll move on to a little bit of all-star talk. Uh, good for Chris. You know, I think we've, we talked about him plenty, about that 51 points. It was, it was per, sort of a perfect way to lead right into him being selected again as a reserve. Hopefully Giannis will uh, pick him pretty early on. I think he had a quote. He's like, yeah, I'd be pretty – pissed off if like I my own teammate didn't pick me first or whatever but uh um yeah I don't know uh, kudos to Chris Kyle for what he's done this year yeah he was a deserved all-star and it could have been argued that he could have maybe snuck in a starter if he was a little bit more popular but 
He's 100% an all-star. I don't think there was any surprise on that. Most of the other reserves that were picked were pretty straightforward, except maybe one player, in which we'll talk about. But I'm happy for Chris. The fact that last year he got it was what we saw as a breakthrough. And then, okay, he got his one all-star bid. Probably he might get another one, might not. So good for him. But to see him not only improve on last year, but kind of solidify his case of I'm going to be a consistent all-star. It's pretty cool to see. And for a guy that was a throw-in trade way back then, six years later to now, it's it's kind of cool to see how he has grown as a player. And, I, and Bud said it, if you follow basketball, you know how talented he is. And I think that's something that we kind of take for granted just because of how his game is and how he's not really the flashy type of guy. And we can talk on the whole contract situation before, but Chris Middleton's an all-star. I think he's going, I actually think he can make another two or three as in his time as Milwaukee. So good for him. Happy for him. And hopefully we get another moment last year in the all-star game where he kind of hits three, three points in a row, right? When he comes into game. Yeah, that, I, I think, think that would be awesome. Oh, I think, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Riley. No, I was just going to follow up, agree with all that. And I think uh, the, the other thing is before the season, it'd be fair to worry a little bit like, you know, how much is he going to be able to play up to the new contract? And I'm not sure he'll be able to mean like justify what the end costs of the final years of the contract are. But no doubt this season, at least he's played up to the value that he he's being paid uh, as much as you could reasonably expect. So I agree with all Kyle and uh, just want to point that out as well. Yeah, hundred percent. The only other thing I was going to say is I feel like uh, sometimes there's discussion about, we shouldn't have an East all-star reserve and a West all-star reserve. We should just pick the best players or whatever. Uh, but I think even in that case and scenario, I think Chris Middleton still would have made it over maybe like Chris Paul, Brandon Ingram and Russell Westbrook. I don't know if he would have been like, over Gobert or whatever, but like I, th- I think it's pretty cool to look at the totality of the reserves and still think Chris Middleton belongs. Um, one guy who didn't make it was Eric Bledsoe. A lot of lobbying from his teammates, Giannis, uh, of course. I mean, unsurprisingly, he's like, well, I think we should have had three, maybe four All Stars. Um, I think so- Thanasis probably should have gotten the nod. <laughs> what Giannis was implying with that. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Reading between the lines, um, of course, that's what he was saying. But <laughs> I thought we'd take a look at, at uh, Bledsoe, maybe compare him to some of the other players in the East. Uh, I know for me personally, I, I didn't feel that offended that he didn't make it. You know, he, he he did miss some games, and obviously the the Bucks had won a lot of games. But I don't really always feel like that entitles the team to have a certain you know set number of all stars. Uh, I guess looking at the, at the at the group of other East All-Star Reserves, we've got Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Chris Middleton, DeMontis Sabonis, Ben Simmons, and Jason Tatum. So out of those guys, Kyle, uh, are there anyone that you think Eric Bledsoe might be more deserving of? Uh, Kyle Lowry. That, if you, I don't know what the justification for Kyle Lowry was because we were complaining about you know, Trey Young making it in wins don't matter and it's all about stats. Okay, fine. But Eric Bledsoe has better stats than Kyle Lowry. And then you kind of look at the option and it's like, okay, well, wins matter. And that's why, you know, maybe we leave a guy like Bradley Beal out because his team isn't winning. Well, Eric Bledsoe is part of a 41 and seven record team. So I don't know where the justification was. If, and it seems like it's more of a, you've been an all-star kind of, You've been an all-star before, so we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. We'll give you the nod, similar to how it seems Russell Westbrook got an all-star bid over Devin Booker. So that's the only player that I could argue, just because you compare the two side-by-side and they play the same position. And Eric Bledsoe, in my opinion, has had a better season than Kyle Lowry. So these are all selected by coaches, right, Riley? Yes, correct. Yeah. Uh, I believe, I don't know if it's just like every coach puts in their, I'm, I'm guessing that's how it works, is every coach puts in like a little survey or whatever and points out their guys that they pick, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Well, how did you how did you feel about it? Like, did you think he was more deserving than any of, the, any of those guys? I could see the Kyle Lowry one. I think they, they've had pretty similar seasons, but I also feel like coaches are, Kyle, Kyle Lowry's now make, made it five or six times and he kind of feels like he's on that conveyor belt and coaches like him and he's in the limelight of, of winning a championship last year. So like maybe that gets him the nod over Bledsoe. 
Yeah, I'm not like too upset about it because there's a couple of different things. So yes, Eric has played really well this season. Um, I'm not sure if he's played like anything beyond what we've seen him do in the past. And like you have like Kyle Lowry, like he's already on the conveyor belt. It, he also has stepped up a little bit, especially with like his offensive duties with Kawhi being gone and with how good Toronto is still playing. I mean, they're the second seed in the East right now, I do believe. And it's difficult you know, we, we think it's tough enough already for Chris to get enough shine as like a flashy player, given the second option beneath Giannis. Like, can you imagine in the national zeitgeist how much more difficult it is to do that as Eric Bledsoe, which, you know, obviously a really good player, but he doesn't have what I would say is the flashiest game. It's very like workmanlike, especially on the defensive end where a lot of his impact is at. And like per 36 minute stats are cool and everything, but when you're only averaging like 26 ish, minutes and nights and with the injuries that he's had this year. And it, it seems like he still, he is more consistent this season than last season, but there's still times where he's, you know, a couple of games where I was like, where, where's Eric at? Is he, is he going to help out here or what's happening there? So I'm not like super upset about it. I, I don't think whether or not his teammates really lobbied for him. Obviously that's doing the right thing by your teammate, but I, I really, I'm not upset about it at all. Yeah, I, I wasn't that upset either. Uh, I could be, I could like maybe see it over Jason Tatum or whatever. Like it's, I guess it's cool that one of those wings got in between him and Brown. But like you know, I, if I'm just looking at guys in the backcourt, I, I feel like the other thing with the per thirty six is, I know it gets like it gets hammered down our throats. So like as Bucks fans, I definitely know to like look at it right away. And as like I would say, relatively informed basketball fans we all know that per 36 is like a pretty good baseline that we should use as opposed to per game yeah and and i'm sure coaches know that too or whatever but i do feel like sometimes it's like yeah i don't know he's playing 26 minutes he's averaging this amount of points per game oh wait hold on let me go to basketball reference and look up the per 36 (laughs) numbers for these guys real quick as well compare them all that like i feel like sometimes maybe it's easier and i'm sure they have stats guys who can do this or whatever for them but like i feel like on some level like the per 36 thing just like it's not going to totally be ingrained in your consciousness yet. Yeah. Anytime you're working within the land of the theoretical, like yes, in theory, over the course of a long enough sample size, that should show out as being something that's factual. But, you know, especially with the way that Milwaukee plays, guys get such low minute totals, which is part of the strategy. It's going to be hard inherently for anybody else other than like one or two guys to get shine. And Giannis is obviously undeniable and he has the popularity and you, you want to give a guy like Chris a nod as well, just because the team has played so well. And so is he, but once you get past that, it's hard to justify a third guy, I think. So maybe they're like injury issues. He might get picked, but I think guys like probably Bradley Beal would be ahead of him. If we're just looking at who's going to get picked up as like a star guy who has the recognition for it. So I don't even expect if there are injury guys for Eric to make it, which to me, isn't that big of a deal. Like just take the week off and rest and relax or whatever. Yeah. yeah, like I thought heartbroken Eric Bledsoe didn't make it. If if there was a player that he I would have to pick, it would have been Kyle Lowry. But it, it seems like this year a lot of people are airing out their grievances with being snubbed, whether it's from the All-Star game or a Rising Stars game. I don't know. Look at that transition over to another guy who was snubbed. Kyle, that's why you are actually the podcast pro, not I. And of course, we're talking about um, Dante DiVincenzo, one of the <laughs> finest uh, <laughs> finest basketball players in the land, a uh, sophomore, yeah. clear snub. It's obvious, much more than uh, Matisse Thibel, but he took it. He took it in stride, unlike Matisse Thibel's agent. Um, and so, I, you know, Dante DiVincenzo doesn't make the Rising Stars game. I, I believe he would qualify as a U.S. roster person because I don't know if he did all the paperwork required to potentially play for the Italian team last year or if he would still if he would be able to then if he said he played for the Italian team. I don't know. Either way. Uh, Not a clue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why I I should have had you look that up, Riley, uh, to see if that's something we could have done. But he's Italian in my eyes, at least. So I don't know (laughs) if the NBA cares about that. But in my eyes, he's Italian. Okay, I'm going to read through the guys that made it for the U.S. roster. And then, Kyle, who do you think – let's see if there's anyone you think you should have made it over. Okay, so they have Miles Bridges, Wendell Carter Jr., Devontae Graham, Tyler Harrow, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morant, Kendrick Nunn, Eric Pascal, P.J. Washington, Zion Williamson, and Trey Young. Is there anyone you think he should have made it 
over from those guys. I don't follow enough of these other teams, especially, you know, a guy like Eric Pascal, who I didn't know existed until just now. <laughs> <laughs> so and my gut wants to say Miles Bridges and Wendell Carter Jr., but Maybe Kendrick Nunn, but I because I know Kendrick Nunn had the really hot start to the season. I don't know. Again, I've not been paying attention to any of these most of these players other than the two from Memphis and Zion, and I guess Trey Young as well. But I would say Miles Bridges is the one name that stands out. Was like I feel like he hasn't done anything spectacular all year. But again, this is me not knowing most of these like how their seasons are going, and a lot of these guys are on pretty bad teams. Besides. Tyler Harrow, Kendrick Nunn. Yeah, everyone else is pretty – all these other teams are kind of trash right now. I would say, yeah, I'm curious. What's up with Charlotte getting three nods? Like the Bucks can't get three All-Stars, but Charlotte gets three consolation prizes in the uh, Rising Stars game? That seems uh, a little questionable. I, I would be curious, like, since Trey Young is also a starter in the All-Star game, is he going to perform in both, or will he bow to one, and does that open up a possibility for Dante? Uh I don't know. This is another thing where I, I don't feel super strongly. I think I'm actually a little surprised that Dante didn't make it because I think for the most part, he's had a really impressive season. It's not like he doesn't have the stat totals or like the counting numbers to justify it either. Like he's just an interesting, fun player to watch on both ends. And I think that would translate well to a game like this, but you know, what do I know? Oh, wait, I was kind of, th- I was thinking the opposite. I was like, I don't know if like a does stuff guy is really what you want in um, a rising stars game. Like, I don't know if you want like Dante DiVincenzo, like Ding up a guy, like look at his quick feet. How does he recover so quickly? Around this look at street? the way he tried to jump for that rebound. <laughs> <laughs> Almost died doing it again. Yeah. yeah I suppose like, that's true. I don't, but I mean, we'll, when we watch games, I mean, I think he's pretty fun to, <laughs> to watch. I Maybe that's an indictment on me or as us as like basketball fans, but, or just like, Milwaukee Bucks fans but I think he's somewhat fun to watch like he's compelling offensively and if you're looking for a dude who's not going to steal a lot of shine from the other dudes on offense like he's the one to go but I I doubt the whoever's picking these teams thought that deeply about it I have no (laughs) idea what the criteria is so maybe maybe when they do like does stuff maybe that's pretty low in importance for guys who make it to the roster so yeah well kudos to you Dante DiVincenzo for having a great season. You will never, ever, ever be selected for the Rising Stars game, but you had he's too good for it anyway. It's fine, just like summer yeah. league. Yeah, you're exactly. Our, you're our Rising Star, Dante, and I know that means a lot coming from the Brew Hoop podcast, which I'm sure you listen to between games. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a quick break for an ad, and on the other side of this, uh, we're gonna do just a little bit of trade talk, and then go to our rapid fire questions, a little bit of ultra talk, and then head on out. So stay tuned. All right, guys, we are back, and it's time to do a little uh, ridiculous trade chatter. Uh, there was a report this week from, you know, incredibly reputable source, Rick Buecher, who uh, this was this was from him. He says, one league source says, so just one, he doesn't get um, confirmation on that. Uh, one league source says the Memphis Grizzlies offered Andre Iguodala to the Milwaukee Bucks for the 2020 protected first-round pick uh, that they acquired from Malcolm Brogdon. Um, while adding Iguodala's playmaking ability, postseason pedigree, and defense to the team with the league's best record is tantalizing, it would be a Rubik's Cubesian challenge to construct a deal that would allow Milwaukee to absorb a $17.2 million contract. So did you have any initial just reactions to that you know, report that uh, Memphis would be willing to accept that first-round pick from Milwaukee in exchange for Andre Iguodala, Kyle? I, it, it made sense for both sides. Memphis gets another draft pick to go along with I – mean, they're looking – potentially having two picks in the 15 to 20 something range, which would be good for them as their team gets younger and they can build a car around it. And for Milwaukee, it would have been that wing that everyone would have wanted, someone that can defend and someone that can shoot and, you know, has that veteran experience. But I don't know how that cap space would have worked. And maybe you would have likely had to get rid of Urson and DJ Wilson and Pat Conton. And so, I, I yeah, the cap... How that works cap-wise would have been confusing since we know the ownership group wouldn't want to go into the tax. So I guess, sure, with this trade, if it were to happen, I wouldn't hate it, but the logistics 
don't make sense. Yeah, it, it. I mean, it feels a little like. I mean, obviously, it's just Memphis, and I think I think they actually owe their pick this year to Boston. Um, so they're they're clearly trying to recoup a little bit of value um, for Iguodala, like they've been trying to do the entire year. It feels like the Bucks would have to bend over backwards with their roster to try and make like a seventeen point million dollar uh, deal of Andre Iguodala even like fit and with the with the contracts that they have. So. I was, you know, I know you, you, but you were pretty, felt pretty strongly that the Bucks should move the first round pick regardless, right, Riley? Yeah, um, I'm not sure if Andre is the guy that I want to do that for, though. So two things. One, I, I can only imagine how hard Rick Buecher was fist pumping when he came up with Rubik's Cubesian. Cube, I mean, yeah. that's, that's an editor's dream right there to have that kind of phrase going on. Uh, the other thing is, I mean, like, you know, I, I'm not a disrespecter of Iggy or anything like that. Like, that dude was a god in NBA 2K a couple of years ago, so shout out to him for that. But he seems to be in, like, a, a weird place <laughs> this season because when he got traded to the Grizzlies, he I don't know if he, like, threw a fit, but I think he already told him straight, I was like, I'm just not going to play. And a couple of weeks ago, he was like on ESPN on the jump talking about his like his sabbatical year off. So I don't know if this is a dude who's in the right mindset where you're going to trade all those assets and then like just hope he turns it on. Like I'm sure he's in a good place physically or as good of a place as he possibly could be. But I don't know if I feel like trading the first rounder plus all those other guys where you're you know, sapping potentially any sort of depth. I mean, we've talked in the past about how much is the depth go past like the top eight dudes. That's an open question, but it really, whatever you would have to do to make the deal and get rid of the first, just to see whether or not Iggy gives a damn or even wants to suit up and play. Cause it seems like he's perfectly content with not doing that with Memphis. So I don't know. I, I'm not sure if that's something that I would be super duper interested in. Maybe, you know, if he was a buyout guy, then I'd be a lot more on board, but to, kind of throw all that at a guy who's a gamble like obviously a lot of guys would be a gamble if you're making a trade for him but that feels a little bit too much of a gamble especially since the position he plays i don't know if we necessarily need the help there either so i'm not super interested and uh whatever that that's if we got iggy it'd be cool but otherwise i, I don't care too much yeah, I'm kind of in the same camp. I, I think there were some articles written about like the agreement they had with Memphis or whatever. So I, I'm going to be ill-informed talking about this. But it always felt weird to me this whole year that like this consummate professional or whatever is like, yeah, I'm not playing for this team. That would clearly like kind of like having some veterans around their young players. Uh, I'm not even like going to be around. So I don't know. That always struck me as kind of an odd thing. And I, well, I think he's yeah. Go ahead. Well, and I think there was another thing where it's it was pretty clear that his only destination was to go back to golden state. Uh, and so if that's the case, like, again, if he gets traded to a different team is, you know, if it's a contender like Milwaukee, will that be enough for him to be like, okay, uh, whatever I'll, I'll suit up or or is it going to be a problem where no, I I still just want to go to golden state and he continues to (laughs) to pout, which, uh, I mean, whatever it's, he can do that if he wants, but not exactly, uh, I'm not sure if it really speaks well of him, but again, you know, how much of it was early season. They were like, we'll, we'll just keep you reserved so we can see if we can trade you or find a destination for you somewhere. So it, maybe it wasn't even all that acrimonious, but just an agreement between the two, like you were saying. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, listening to some, some pot, like I was listening to the dunked on mock trade deadline. Uh, the more I'm thinking about it, Kyle, the, the more it feels like it's just like, it's tough for the Bucks to even like find a person who's going to crack the rotation who feels like worthwhile that they should be pushing their chips in for, uh, it just feels like, and the trade deadlines felt really quiet so far. It, it feels like maybe we're leaning more towards the Bucks not making a move. Yeah, between that and the cap shrinking, supposedly, well, mm. I shouldn't say shrinking, but it's not going to increase as much as people thought going into next year. And with how relatively open the NBA quote-unquote seems, I think those are the reasons why not a lot of teams are making home run moves now. I'm still expecting Philly to do something. I'm still expecting the Clippers to do something. I'm still expecting teams to make moves, but for the Bucks, I think the weirdest part is everyone keeps proposing these trades where you're trying to get a top seven rotation guy, like a guy that's, you know, six or six, six or eight in the rotation. And you try and give up the 12 and 13 people in DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown. I don't know where and expecting to get something like that in return. It, that's where I think the biggest issue is, is that, I don't know, people are expecting we're going to somehow swindle a team and get 
someone that's one of the first guys off the bench and we're going to trade our two under the bench guys that we don't play and have not shown substantial quality to make justify making that move it's like we gotta we gotta stop doing that you guys no i don't think any team is dumb enough to make that trade and if it happens great i will be happy about it but i don't think the bucks are gonna make the move because the two players that they most likely should get rid of it would be dj wilson sterling brown and what the market is for that it's not worth trading just unless you're gonna get draft picks or you can get a salary dump yeah, I, I kind of tend to agree, and especially when teams that are are like really obviously trying to push their chips in and make a trade aren't operating from a position of leverage at the trade deadline. You know, all the teams that that can be sellers uh, generally are able to just operate with the with all the leverage in those positions. So I, I'm leaning a little bit more towards that. Um, anything else on on trade talk? Since this will be the last time we'll talk about it, uh, Riley, before the deadline hits. No, not particularly. I mean, last season, it was sort of a similar thing where I think a lot of people were like, well, this is this might be just the squad that we roll with. And then we ended up having Stanley Johnson for 30 seconds and then we ended up in Nikola Miritich, uh, which was kind of a, a combination of a lot of different moves that got to that point. So maybe there's a, a, a last second move, but I agree with both of you guys that it, it feels like at this point, you'll roll your dice with what you have. Uh, and then Worst case scenario, you can maybe see if you can find something before the draft itself for to trade out that pick, or maybe even there's a guy that they find compelling, you know, in the twenties or whatever the pick ends up, and they end up going for that guy as a cost control piece. So, I think probably at this point, just for roster construction purposes, they feel comfortable with where they're at, and then they like having a little bit of flexibility that the possibility of a draft pick gives them. Yeah. So we will we will we will have to see. And uh, moving on, we'll move to our next segment. It's time for rapid fire questions. Real quick, Riley, before you take over, I need to uh, send an apology to my father who does, uh, he does these like daily while he's like not milking right now, it'll start again in March. Um, He does these like daily question of the days to my whole family and has them ask, you know, ask us questions. And one of them last week was favorite cartoon, which I then stole for the rapid fire question last week and realized right after we stopped recording that I didn't give him credit. Um, so this past Friday he was driving and I got a call from him and I was like, Oh my God, it was like in the middle of work. So I thought something was wrong. Um, and he was like, Hey Adam, how are you doing? I was like, I'm doing pretty well. He's like, well, I'm listening to the podcast and I had to call in um, because I heard your question that you asked and you didn't even say anything about me on it. Like you didn't even give me credit for it. And I, I was like, Oh, I knew you were going to give me guff over that. So all credit to my father for the favorite cartoon question we used last week. Thank you, Dad. It was um, integral to completing the podcast. So anyway, all for you. I'll hand it over to you, Riley. Mr. Paris, we want to give you a shout out for keeping your son grounded. Make sure he's not too big city. I know he's in Philadelphia. I know he people are eating horse poop out on the streets. I want you to keep him grounded by keeping him calling in. So we do appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure we would love to have you on as a guest at some point. Maybe in the off season, we'll have the, uh, the parents will come on for an episode here or there. But uh, beyond that, rapid fire this week, a couple, oh. couple of quick ones. <laughs> so... Uh, first off, will Chris score 40 or more points again in a game this regular season? And for context sake, he had the 51. I think the closest he's gotten otherwise was a 32-point outing this season. So do you guys believe he will get to 40-plus one more time this year? I say yes, because I think there will be some games that um, Giannis will rest down the stretch. I also have that same thought process, and we'll go with Yes. Uh, I'm a little skeptical because it took like a, one of the worst defenses in the entire league, like literally statistically the worst to get him there, but definitely a possibility. Uh, number two, this is, I think this is a good one. Championship is on the line. Let's say it's game seven. We're coming down to the final possession and maybe it's like a, it, it's it changed the situation so that either of these could be the game winning play, but would you rather trust Giannis at the free throw line for two free throws or Brooke Lopez wide open from three. Giannis at the free throw line. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, I'd also go with Giannis just because a free throw, it's easier to hit a free throw. And who knows? Maybe Giannis will have a 10 of 12 type of game. I, I, I'll i take the sh- person that's shooting 60, 70% from closer than the guy that's bombing 
30 foot jumpers and only had a 29% of them. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the numbers definitely do work in your favor, but I think we need to do some research on brew hoop. Like do you guys, when you see Giannis dribble, does your confidence go up or down based on how many times he dribbles before each free throw? Because sometimes it's like six, sometimes it's 17 dribbles. Sometimes it's 30 dribbles before the free throw. And for me, the more times he dribbles before he takes it, the 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 possibility that it makes it goes down significantly, which each extra dribble. Yeah, I was actually wondering that because I feel like when I was playing basketball, I took three dribbles and I thought that was too many. So to, for Giannis to take seven, eight free throws each time, it's like, how do you, I just feel like you lose concentration when that happens. Oh, that's a great, that's a great, that would be a great question. What was your free throw routine? Mine was the, you spin the ball, have it come back to you, bounce it three dribbles, and you spin it again. So I was I was clearly more like on the Giannis end of it, like let me take my time. But uh, we should do that investigation. Remember that old like the the free throw ten second violation subplot that was a couple years ago that yeah. everyone was talking about. I feel like we haven't had to hear about that in a while. People complain about Giannis not getting superstar calls. I think the fact that he takes five minutes at the line every time he's there and nobody talks about it, that's the best kind of superstar call we're going to get. So I'm content with that. Um, another question. Will Thanasis start another game this season? No. <laughs> you think that was a one-off Greek heritage? Not going to see, see it ever again? Well, I don't know. Uh, maybe like one of the ones really at the end of the year. Like, I mean, if Bonzi Colson can start, like maybe That's there's true. a chance to Nasus can. That's why I'm saying yes, because it's going to be a game <laughs> where it's going to be an all bench and the Nasus starting at center. We're going to have Frank Mason. We're going to have Cam Reynolds, Dragon Bender. DJ Wilson won't be on the team, so that won't happen. <laughs> yeah. DJ yeah, will be an Oshkosh. It. DJ will be an Oshkosh for that one. Everybody else will get a start, though. <laughs> DJ will not. DJ will be in Detroit after the Bucks supposedly trade for Luke Kennard, another fantasy that's not going to happen. The best part about those those bench games is like Kyle Korver and Urson still have to play like 25 minutes. Yeah, they have to <laughs> blow their bodies out right before the playoffs, like just just because we need warm bodies for uh, the sake of it. Um, all right, uh, two more questions. Uh, one more Bucks related. Who would you guys guess is the has the fourth highest point total on the Bucks this season. So the top three guys, pretty self-explanatory, goes Giannis, Chris, Eric. Who would you guess is number four in points scored this season? I'd probably go George Hill. Same. Uh, it's Brooke Lopez with 464. George Hill is fifth with 428. Dante, sixth at 387. So all relatively close, but Brooke still continues to edge out George there. Yeah, I guess it makes sense because Brooke, Brooke's played every game right like at least every game he's been available for he's played i i believe he has and i, I don't th think he's he's missed any i don't think he has either and i think what's notable is i think george especially when he's in he 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 does score a lot but i don't think that's still his primary role i still think his primary role is like just make sure the bench units don't implode while you're out there like if you can just make sure the other dudes get okay looks that would be great so i, I it's not like he generally looks for his shot right away for the most part and then the final question here, who's your Super Bowl pick? I know this is this will be coming out after it, so if we'll get like direct uh, comparison whether or not you're right and wrong, but do you have a Super Bowl pick tonight? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick the Chiefs because my dad and my brother are both 49ers fans, and I don't want to hear them celebrate anything right now. So I'll pick the Chiefs. I also want to see Andy Reid get a Super Bowl rig. It would be kind of cool for him to finally get one after all the work he's put in in the past like 20 something years. Yeah, I'll go Chiefs as well. Uh, I'm 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 kind of rooting for Andy Reid. I think that would be that would be cool to see. Uh I have no rooting interest. I only watched the Packers game whatever a couple weeks ago which seemed bad, so uh maybe I don't know. Is Jimmy G a good player? Is he elite? Tune in next week when we discuss that. So that's all I got for <laughs> rapid fire rapid fire questions. Wonderful. Well, well. Speaking of elite, we had two of the elite of the elite uh, talking to one another in France, Mark <laughs> Lazary and Michael Jordan. Uh, it's time for a vulture talk, everyone. What is the situation with Giannis's long-term contract? Giannis sent it to Kumpo. Giannis. 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 All right, Riley, take it from here. So this is a weird one because it had nothing to do with Giannis whatsoever, but uh, it was it was too noteworthy not to talk about because anytime you get some owner-on-owner -owner drama, you got to go for it. And it's even better because Michael Jordan was involved. 
So last uh, last week, or two weeks ago, I guess at this point, when the Bucks were in Paris, there was like a weird pregame press conference with uh, Mark Lazary and Michael Jordan for for some reason with the assembled European media. And apparently either before or after that press conference, um, Mark Lazary was talking to Michael Jordan and talking about how they're going to try and beat like both the Bulls regular season win record and win the championship and everything. And Michael Jordan, I mean, curmudgeon that he is, he said, don't worry so much about the regular season, go for the championship, which I think, I think is like, you know, solid advice, like pretty boilerplate <laughs> stuff, but still. All right. And apparently according to Mark Lazary, I'm just going to read the quote cause it's really good. So this is Mark Lazary speaking. And he, Michael Jordan, goes, look, my advice to you is don't focus on beating a record. Focus on winning a championship. And I said, I, Mark Lazary, said, wow, that's great. Thank you for that. Just so you know, we're going to focus on beating your record and winning a championship. I think we should be doing everything, but that's me. <laughs> like, <laughs> such as, I mean, stiff arms the hell out of one of the greatest players of all time is like, yeah, get away from me, peasant. Like, we're going to win everything. So I thought... Uh, you know, pretty on point for Lazary. It seems like that's within his wheelhouse for uh, his braggadocious ownership style, but uh, quite a set of something to t- tell Michael Jordan to piss off, essentially. So uh, good stuff from uh, Lazary, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's all I got. That's, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Michael Jordan also said that Giannis would look good in a Charlotte's <laughs> uniform, and that was before that quote. So man, there might be some beef. Uh, if we need some tie-in for Vulture Talk, but that's that's what we got for Ownership Talk this week. I just like how both owners now have just said something that you kind of just pause and think, are you sure you really should be big-chesting yourself this much this soon? Because <laughs> we had Wesley Eden just throw the absolute shade at Philly, talk about the process versus the results, and now we have Mark Lazary. So now we just need Jamie Dinan to appear from the Shadow Realm and say something. I'm a big Facitelli guy, so I'm waiting for what to hear what Mike Facitelli says. I'm a huge Aaron Rodgers guy, so I'm just waiting for more <laughs> tweets about Bucks and Six, or uh, or more. <laughs> I think we don't talk enough about how Aaron uh, Rodgers' ideal basketball player is Drew Gooden. We don't need to get in on into that. On Drew this Gooden podcast. and Vladdy Divac. Yeah, it's a tough one-two combo. I mean, probably a creature of the era that he was a, most a fan of the NBA, but uh, you know. Whatever. Yeah. Now we just got to wait for Aaron to weigh in, I guess, and also say that Michael Jordan sucks. So <laughs> whatever. Cool stuff from the ownership. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Riley. That was, that was insightful. Um, so we're going to look ahead at the games coming up this week. It is Tuesday at the Pelicans, Thursday versus the 76ers, Saturday at Orlando. Of course, the 76ers is the marquee out of those games, but we will get to hear about big boy Zion facing off against Giannis. Probably be some silly comparisons there. Kyle, what do you have for the record this week? I'm going 3-0 because I think Milwaukee is better than the Pelicans. And considering as we're recording, this is before the Phoenix Suns game, and I have a bad feeling that the Bucks are going to lose to the Suns because A, it's the Suns, and B, it's at 1 p.m. So Milwaukee will want to get some revenge. And then Thursday against the Sixers, well, the Sixers are absolute frauds on the road. So that's an easy W. And then... Orlando's tricky, but I think Milwaukee's going... That's going to be a close game. I think Milwaukee will win by six or seven points of that one. So give me 3-0. I'm going to actually go pessimistic. I'm going to say this is going to be the first week where they really, quote-unquote, stumble. I mean, obviously, you don't stumble much when you won 41, but I think they'll go 1-2 and two this week. The reasoning is losses to the Pelicans and Sixers. And Pelicans, because... I think it's way too early for anybody to have a real clue how to defend Zion. And he's just kind of like a, a weird force physically where it's like, I, how do we defend this guy? What is he doing? How, okay. He's kind of all over the place and big and huge and scary. So I think that'll be probably a loss, especially on the road. That's kind of a difficult spot to be. And then the Sixers, I mean, yeah, they're super fraudulent. Yeah. They're horrendous <laughs> on the road, but I also thought they were super fraudulent and horrendous before the Christmas game. And they spanked the hell out of the bucks. Now, Maybe that reverses and the Bucks go for the revenge game, but it seems like the Sixers are able to get up for games every once in a while. And so, uh, not on the road, not on the road, maybe, but maybe it'll be unique for this one national TV, blah, blah, blah. So, I, I actually pick maybe the Bucks to lose that. And everybody, literally everybody, will lose their minds after that. So, that's that's my guess. Oh, I like it. That's that's good. Um, I'm going to go two and one. I can see the loss against the Sixers again and then. And, you know, get them feeling high and mighty about their chances to beat us and everything and people 
freaking out about how we won't be able to beat them and all that kind of stuff. Will we make a move to try and combat beating the 76ers? So I'm going to go two and one this week. Well, I guess I'm going to have to carry. I know you guys are trying to be nicer to other teams, and I'm not of that ilk right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they just lost by 21 to the Celtics on the road. Like, they are absolutely garbage on the road. I, I think they're. It, it's kind of mystify how they're so good at home and yet they're nine and seventeen on the road. Yeah, I wouldn't be maybe as concerned over like the course of a series, but for one-off games where it's like, oh, we only care about this, and I think we can all acknowledge that Embiid is a he's a force on both ends and makes life really difficult for Giannis. And then it's like, okay, is the usual gamble where is are Chris and Eric able to step up and? Chris has been on it lately and maybe Eric will use the snub as a fuel or something. I don't know, but I think there's enough where I'm not going to go in calling them necessarily frauds. Like just what, what do the bucks do that might be different or is it, we do the same exact thing and just hope that Philly doesn't shoot from lights out again from three. So I I think either way, win or loss, it'd be really interesting just because it has implications for down the road. That's fair. Agreed. Yep. I like any matchup with one of the potential Eastern conference contenders. So uh, should be a fascinating week for the Bucks. Uh, trade deadline coming Friday, that big game against the Sixers on Thursday. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Follow us on Brewhoop at Brewhoop on Twitter. Uh, go to brewhoop.com for all of the usual pieces, Brian's Five Observations, Riley's uh, Monday Morning Media Roundup, uh, including he told us there's a sweet piece on Dante DiVincenzo on ESPN Plus if you're lucky enough to have that. I can't wait to finish recording and read that. And then um, also uh, check out uh, Mitchell Maurer has a has a really cool three part piece uh, on the Bucks history with the long ball. So you're going to want to check brewhoop.com for that. Make sure to subscribe to us, share us with your friends, and we will be back next week. Bye.